How are we doing mid-current? Now, if you're just tuning in, my name is James Brown and I am a friend of this church and I want to wish you a happy 4th of July weekend. Hope you had a great Independence Day yesterday. Uh, America is going through a tough time right now, uh, but even with all of its issues, it is still, in my opinion, the best place nation on the earth. And I feel so incredibly grateful to be part of this right here right now. And if you are new with us today, if you are right here right now with us, I want to personally welcome you. I'm so glad that you are here today. You've dropped in on a great weekend because we are in the final week. We are wrapping up a set of teachings called God Is That You. And in this series, we are looking at what decision-making looks like from God's perspective, which, by the way, uh, is really, really Important Because you may not know this, but a University of Minnesota professor, Dr. Eric Linger, has calculated that we as Americans, we make about 17,000 decisions every single day. Most of these decisions are inconsequential, but a few of them are pretty significant decisions. 17,000 decisions every single day. And now I know why. I feel like I need a nap Almost every afternoon, I'm making too many (laughs) decisions in my life. And this decision-making series, God Is That You, is about making the right decisions at the right time. And Pastor Stan, he decided to do this series because every single one of us at some moment, in fact, in many moments of our life, we have to come up against significant choices that we have to make. And we've got to get these decisions Right, because decisions for us are like building blocks in our lives. They they define us and they shape us in so many ways. In fact, I would say that we make decisions and then the decisions we make, they eventually make us. In other words, our decisions determine the direction, they determine the direction and the quality of our life. So let me just ask you as we kick off today, what decision do you need to make right now? What what decision or choice is sitting in front of you at this very moment? Is it whether or not to, to go to or maybe to go back to school this fall? Is that, is that your decision? Or maybe if you are going to go back, maybe your decision is about the major. Is it time to change a major or lock into one? It is your decision about whether or not to stay in a relationship or to, to put a ring on that finger or to retire or keep working until you can retire? It is your decision about whether or not to have a baby or to have another baby or to maybe adopt? Maybe your decision is about moving or buying a new whatever, house, car, horse, whatever. Maybe that's your decision. Maybe the decision that you've been contemplating is about whether or not to file for divorce or to change jobs or careers or maybe to start exercising or to move in with a significant other or to go on a diet or to see a counselor to help you with whatever is holding you back in your life, drinking, anger, eating, whatever. I mean, what is the decision that's sitting in front of you right now? Whatever it is, I guarantee you that it's difficult because decisions, like any of these that I've just mentioned or any of the other ones that you might be going through, decisions like these are difficult to make. But if we make the right decisions, a good thing happens. We experience peace and joy and happiness in our life. But if we make the wrong decision, we end up miserable. 
So whatever existence-altering, trajectory-shifting, life choice that's in front of you right now, the question that we're looking at in this series is how do you make a decision like this? And I'm so glad that you're part of this series today, part of this God Is That You series, because Stin has been throughout the series outlining four essential questions that we can ask that help us to hear God's voice more clearly in our lives and and to follow his direction and leading more closely as we try to find his will for our lives. And if you've happened to miss any of the weeks of the series, I'm just going to go over them again because they're so great and we need to be reminded of them. here's, Here's what he's covered so far. Is this, is the first one, is this decision consistent with Scripture? This is the first essential question that we can ask. The second is this, is this decision affirmed in community? Is this decision, number three, is it life-giving? Or number four, does this decision take faith to believe? And then last week, I added a bonus one as part of the story, and it's this. What story do I want to tell in making this decision? Now, the first five questions that we've covered so far, they're important to ask. Don't get me wrong, but I would submit to you that this sixth and final question might be the most crucial question of them all. And I say crucial because if we get this one right, even if we get all the other questions wrong, if we get this one right, we're still going to be okay. I say crucial because if, if we answer this one correctly, it, it begins to remove all of the frustration and all of the fear that's found in the decision-making dilemmas that we face. It removes all of the frustration and the fears. I say it's a crucial uh, choice because, and not to scare you, but maybe to scare you a little bit, if we actually at least ask this question and we don't deal with it at all, if we miss this question, We miss the point and the purpose for our entire existence altogether. That we may know the question, but if we don't ask it, then we miss why we are even here. Eek, right? I mean, that's pretty big. And that's why I said this last question is kind of a a big deal. And I want to tell you what the question is, but to get to the question, we have to look at a statement that was made by Jesus. And so if you have a Bible with you today or if you have a Bible app available to you, uh, would you please go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there or as you're getting there, let let me just set up the context uh, for this question and what we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter 5, it finds itself on the front end of the most famous sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this message was delivered by Jesus uh, to a crowd of people who were standing near him or sitting uh, on a hill or on the ground beside him nearby. And the type of people that were there on that day are a lot like the people that are watching this message today. Many of the people there that day were followers of Jesus, just like many of you are. So some of them were curious, uh, but weren't exactly sure what to think about this Jesus. And some of you are in that place as well. Some individuals that were there listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they were, they were questioning their faith. They, they had doubts that maybe they hadn't, hadn't even articulated in their life. And maybe that's where you are as well. Others were skeptics. Some were even antagonistic to what Jesus was saying and doing in his ministry. 
So what Jesus does with this mix of individuals that are there that day, he takes advantage of this moment to clear up the confusion around what he was attempting to accomplish with his life. And he makes it crystal clear to this crowd that he is creating a kingdom. And what he means by this kingdom is he's creating a certain way of living that is completely different from and oftentimes contrary to the rest of the way that the world works. And so Jesus believes that if people are going to follow him, if they're going to enter into his kingdom, if they're going to accept his way of living, they need to know what they're getting themselves into. They need to know what is before them, but they also need to know how to make the best kind of decisions to build the kind of world that Jesus is seeking to create. And so what he does in Matthew chapter 15 or Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, is he begins to talk about what that looks like. And so verse 14, Matthew 5 says this. Jesus says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That's, that's what you're like. That's what my kingdom is going to be like. Verse 15, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house, which would have brought a collective duh to Jesus in this moment. But then he says in verse 16 something that no one was expecting. Look at it with me. He says, in the same way, in the same way as the city on the hill, is the same way as the lamp in the house, in the same way, Jesus says this, he says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Now, I want to stop here just for a second. And here's what Jesus is saying. It's so important that we understand this. He is saying that no matter who you think you are, no matter what you think you are, no matter what you think you can do, God has created you to shine. God has created you to do amazing things to do incredible things, significant things with your life. And you shouldn't hide the fact that you have certain gifts or certain talents or certain skills or certain opportunities in your life. Don't bury them, Jesus says. Don't, don't, uh, don't hide them. Let them out. Let them radiate. Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. It's as, in honor of our weekend, it's as, the great theologian and illustrious philosopher Katy Perry has said, you just got to ignite the light and let it shine. You own the night like the 4th of July because, baby, you're a firework. Come on, show them what you're worth. Make them go, oh, 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 as you shoot across the sky, I, I, right? That's what she said. And here's what Jesus and Katie are saying to us. When you do this, when you shine, when you have success, when you get that job, when you get that sale or make that deal, when you get that award or when you write that book, when you play that solo or make the cut or make the goal, that success is also going to bring with it some attention. It's going to bring with it others' admiration or praise or honor. And in that moment when you shine, the question is going to become, how will you handle it? How will you handle it? 
Well, look back at verse 16 because Jesus gives us some direction. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you. Is that what he says? No, not at all. But that is where most of us stop most of the time when we come to living out this verse. You see, the truth is that we can understand from what he said so far is that you and I, we are going to live for someone's honor. You are going to live for someone's honor. And when you get attention for your success, when you ignite the light and you shoot across the sky, I, I, going, oh, 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 the question is, what are you going to do with that honor that you're getting? Will you keep it? Will you pass it on? I mean, you are going to live for someone else's honor. So when you shine, who will ultimately get the glory? Who will get the credit? Who will get the praise? And what Jesus is getting ready to say to us in the next 15 letters is that to make it stop with Y-O-U, to make the honor stop with you is a meaningless exercise in missing the point. Because, and you may hate me for saying this, but it is true, your honor is too small a thing to live for. It's too small. Your honor, your praise, your glory, it's too small of a thing to dedicate your life to. I mean, your smart kids and your fancy car and the contract you negotiated and the cabin you go to and all the, the cool stuff that you buy and even your potty-trained cat, all of it, all of it. Ultimately, if the honor and praise and glory for it heads right back to you, all of that cool stuff is unimpressive because your honor is too small of a thing to live for. In fact, if you become one who hoards honor, directing all the attention back in your direction, and we know people like this, if you do that, it makes you actually look really small. And it makes the, the successes that you have look insignificant when you direct to the honor and the praise back at you. We, we know that. I mean, we know people like that. But why is that? Why is it that way? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. You were created by God to do amazing things. You were created to shine, but you were not created by God to hang on to the honor that comes from the amazing things that you do. You are going to live for someone's honor, and your honor is too small of a thing to live for. So the good news is God has invited you to live for his honor. Now look back at verse 16 again. He says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that, look at this, look at this, so that everyone will praise, not you, but your heavenly Father. In fact, if you have a pen or a highlighter or a marker or a crayon that you find in the couch or on the floor, underline verse 16 
because it describes the very purpose of our existence. We were created, we were designed by God to live our lives in such a way that the decisions that we make, that the the things we choose to do, that they will ultimately bring honor to God, our heavenly Father. That's what Jesus says in this moment. But what's interesting is that Jesus isn't the only one to introduce this idea in the Bible. I mean, you can find it really in some shape or some form in about every book of the Bible. For example, the Apostle Paul, a guy who wrote uh, most of the New Testament, the last quarter of the Bible, um, the after Jesus, the Jesus and after Jesus uh, documents, the letters and the biographies, uh, all of that New Testament stuff, he wrote most of that. He said Uh, something about this. I mean, he was all over this idea. In a letter that he wrote to a church that he started, he, he, he said it this way. He said, so whether you eat or drink, so whether you eat or drink, the, the most regular, mundane things that you can think of. So whether you eat or drink, and, and if you have any other ideas about it, he says, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory or the honor of God. He says, everything you do, all the way down to the simple things that you have to do on a daily basis, do it all so that God gets the honor. I mean, friends, this is so huge because what Jesus and what the Apostle Paul are challenging us to do is to ask a question of the decision the decisions that we make in our lives, that they're calling us to consider sort of this last bonus question When we come to a moment where we are asking God, is that you? We're trying to figure out his will. They're saying to us, there's another question that you need to ask. And it's this. Of my options, that everything is before me, of my options, what would be most honoring to God? Of all my options, what would be most honoring to God? As I'm, as I'm contemplating a decision or a path, or a choice that I need to make, and I'm looking up to heaven asking, God, is that you? Is that you? Is that you? Which, which way should I go? Jesus and Paul say to us, well, stop, pause, and look at what's before you, and ask which of those things would bring God the most glory, the most praise, the most honor in the thing that you decide. Which one would make his fame more great. That's what they ask. And on the surface, this final question, it seems pretty straightforward. But in my opinion, while it's an essential one that we need to answer, it might be the most difficult and dangerous one that we deal with. And I say it's difficult and I say it's dangerous because this question will actually lead you beyond the issues of right and wrong. I say it's difficult, I say it's dangerous because asking and answering this question, it actually leads you beyond the limits of risk and reward. It leads you past the line of wisdom and foolishness. This is a very dangerous question to ask, let alone answer. For, for example, because of this question, what would be the most honoring to God Some people actually choose to make less money in their life. They make the decision to pass on a promotion or to work less, to 
come off of the road, to travel less, to stay closer to home because it gives them an opportunity to spend more time with their family. And they believe that decision is one that would honor God. Because of this decision, what would be most honoring to God? Some people reduce their standard of living. They downsize their house or they sell the extra car or they get rid of a vacation home. They sell the things that we are all trying to get. They get rid of those things so that they can be more generous with their time or with their money so that they can give more of it away. And I know it sounds weird, but this is the kind of thing that answering this question will cause you to do. And because of this question, what what would be most honoring to God? Some people in very, 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 very difficult marriages, marriages that the average individual would have opted out a long time ago, Individuals who have asked this question, they they decide to stay in the marriage and to fight for that relationship. Because of this question, what would be most honoring to God? More and more teenagers in our country, and by the way, no one is telling you this, by the way. You're not going to hear this on the news. More and more teenagers in our country, more and more college students in our country, more and more singles in our country are seeking to honor God by living out this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Teens and college students and singles are making the decision as they ask what honors God most. They are making the decision that sex isn't for ready people or for mature people, but for married people. Because of this question, what would be most honoring to God? Some have decided to tell the truth, even when it's detrimental to their careers or their income. Some have decided to forgive, even though, the, even though they've been hurt very deeply by people close to them. Because of this question, people have decided to take responsibility for their irresponsibility, even when no one would ever know about it if they never even spoke up. Because of this question, what would be most honoring to God? People have spoken out against the injustices they see around them when it is much more comfortable and much more convenient to just keep their mouths shut. You see, I told you it was a dangerous question to ask. Because if you actually ask it, And if the answer moves you to action, it will make you decide to do strange things. So my question for you today is simply this. As you look at the decisions that are before you, as you look at the life choices that you have before you, the options that are in front of you, whose glory are you going to live for? Whose honor Are you going to seek your own or your heavenly father's? Because you are going to live for someone else's honor. 
And the sad truth is that your honor and my honor, it is too small of a thing to live for. It's too tiny of a thing to dedicate our life to. But the good news is is that God has invited you to pass on the honor and to live for something that is so much larger than you. He has invited all of us to live for his honor. So, with whatever decision that you are facing next, for whatever issue you are asking, God, is that you? Let me ask you to at least ask the question of my options, what would be most honoring to God? Because when you do that, when you at least ask it, something absolutely amazing happens. You begin moving. Not only toward better decision making, but also toward the very purpose for why you were created, which is to honor God with our lives. And friends, for me, that is something that I want and I hope it's something that you desire as well. Let's pray. God, we pause in this moment in awe of who you are. And God, so many times the the decisions that we face in our lives, the actual choice that we need to make is simple. It's the one that brings you the most praise and fame and honor and glory. But it's a difficult one for us to make because it costs us the attention. And it costs us the affection. And it costs us the recognition that we either want or think we deserve. But God, we were designed and created to give you glory. And I pray that that becomes our pursuit. That of the decision that we have before us, the options that are in front of us, that we can honestly ask and answer which one will bring you the greatest honor. And then, God, we would have the courage to choose it, to walk into it, to draw a line in the sand for it, for your sake and for your glory. And, God, we thank you most of all for Jesus, who did this better than anyone, who honored you with every word and every deed in his life. And our prayer, God, is that we would walk that way as well. And it's in his wonderful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.